Acts 18. Acts 18 is where we're going to be this morning. We're going to finish up uh, chapter 18. And so we have seen Paul going through, um, and Paul, as we left him at the very end of our passage last week, we looked at through verse 23, and that left us um, with, it said, after spending some time there, he departed, went from one place to the region of Galatia and Phygia. That's Luke's very shorthanded way of saying uh, Paul has started on his third missionary journey. So we will get more detail on Luke coming up. Um, but what, if you read the Bibles, uh, the Bible, and you read through um, the Gospels, and you read through even the New Testament, you'll find the writers tend to get distracted. Um, at least some of them do. Luke definitely does. Paul definitely does. Paul goes on tangents all the time in the New Testament. Um, but we get this distraction here, this kind of aside here at the end of chapter 18. But we can't just treat it as, okay, Luke went off on a tangent, so we don't need to worry about it. We're only looking at four verses this morning. Our very important to the history of the church and of Christianity. Because our passage today is an introduction to someone who we haven't met yet, but plays a vital role moving forward in the furthering of the gospel in some very hard areas. And our passage today is a reminder of uh, to us to be humble. It's a reminder to us to be teachable, to be willing to share, willing to share what we know and who we are with others. And it's a reminder to us to remember that it is God who is the giver of all good things, and it is him that is to be praised all the day long through the ways that he has equipped us to share and give the gifts and talents and abilities he's given us. So that's where we're going. I'm going to pray, and then we will jump into Acts 18. Uh, please bow your heads and pray with us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for this chance to get together and to worship and celebrate you. God, we pray for the kids of our church that as they are up in Grace Place, that you are ministering to them as you're ministering to us, that you're teaching them about yourself as you teach us about yourself, reminding and revealing to them how much you love them. They are to you because they... God, we pray for the volunteers of Grace Place, that you would give them an abundance of patience, encouragement, and joy as they serve you and they serve the kids and the families of our church. God, I pray this morning, Lord, we are in a place, in a country, in a city where we can use microphones and have lit up signs and have a building that's known as a church building. We live in a place where we can openly, actively worship as we choose to. We can promote Bible studies. We can listen to Christian radio. We can, we can do all, we can carry a Bible without any fear. But God, that is not true all over the world. Today is one of those days where we set aside time, where we remember, where we lift up our brothers and sisters who are doing the same thing we're doing today. They're worshiping you. They're celebrating you. You. They're finding their joy, their, their life, their grace, their mercy, all of those things. They're doing the same thing we're doing, but they're doing it in whispers. They're doing it hidden. They're doing it in secret because if they do it publicly, if they used a microphone, they'd be dead. God, we pray for justice. We pray for peace. We pray that your gospel would continue to do what it has always been doing. Entire cities, entire countries, rebuild them, built on the foundation of the grace and mercy of you. God, we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering, who are persecuted for their faith, who are shining brightly in very dark areas. God, give them strength, give them peace, give them wisdom, give them comfort. Remind them of who you are. Remind them you are the good shepherd who is there to protect and lead and guide them. Remind them that you are a father who will guide them, who will raise them up, who will protect them, 
remind them that you care, remind with them and for them. God, around the world, your gospel is going forward. Your church is growing. It's, do, it's doing so in hard and messy and dark places. And God, we rejoice in that. And as we pray and we lift brothers and sisters, as we remember them, Lord, help us. God, we thank you for their willingness, for their desire, for the missionaries going into hard places, for the churches being built around the world. God, strengthen them. Remind them. Remind them you're with them. Remind them of who gospel would continue to go forward, would continue to change lives, change hearts and minds, especially of those leaders who are trying to eliminate your church, who are trying to eliminate your word. May they come to know you as Lord and Savior and come to realize that no matter what they do, no matter how they might try, they are never going to shut your church down. They are never going to stop the gospel from going forward. God, as we open your word this morning, a word for us. You have truth for us. You have something for us today. And so, Lord, we pray that you would Help us to set aside distractions, set aside other things, and in God, we thank you and praise you for this opportunity. I pray that as I preach, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorifying to you. We pray these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. We're going to be in Acts 18. If you don't have a, a Bible with you, there should be one in the seat back around you, and you should be able to open up to bookmark in there that should take you to, to Acts, and then you just flip to Acts 18. Um, we're going to be at uh, right at the tail end there, starting in verse 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the, script, in the spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Acacia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ was Jesus. So Paul is out strengthening churches. As I said, he is embarking on his third missionary journey. And we get this little aside from Luke about a band named Apollos. He shows up in Ephesus. Now last week, we kind of got through the, the last couple of verses there of, um, in verse 20 through 23, where Paul finally makes his way to Ephesus. Remember way back a couple of chapters ago, Paul was on this journey. He wanted to cross down into Asia. The Holy Spirit said, no, Paul, not yet. You need to go across the sea, you need to go across into Europe. There's other people there that need you. And so Paul pushes forward. He gets into Europe. We, we saw him in Athens. We saw him in Corinth. Um, and now on his way back, he is able to go to Ephesus. But when he goes there, he stays for a very short amount of time. He's there for just a, a brief window of time. We'll see um, in chapter 19, he is able to go back and spend a more significant amount of time in Ephesus that we'll look at next time we get into Acts 19. But in between those two, in between his first trip to Ephesus and his second trip, we have this man, Apollo, shows up. And he shows up and he is a great help to those who believe there. He is a great help to those who are already believers there. And we're given some details about him in these verses. It says in verse 24, he is a native of Alexandria. Alexandria at the time was second only to Rome itself as the cities of importance to the Roman Empire. As far as influence, prestige, money, it was Rome and then Alexandria. At the time, Alexandria had a population of roughly 600,000. That's a lot for, the time, for this time and day. It was a mix of Egyptian and Greek and Roman and Jewish population. In fact, the Jewish population of Alexandria was roughly a quarter of the people were Jewish. It was a great center for learning and achievement and teaching and thought. 
So even just the fact that Apollos is from there gave him a certain level of credibility to what he had to say based on his hometown. It's kind of like those who are from Chicago, we have a certain level of credibility when we talk about like pizza or driving in the snow or bad football teams. When we talk about these things, we know what we're talking about. It says he is from a native of Alexandria and that he is an eloquent man in verse 24. He could communicate well. He was well-educated and carried and spoke in such a way that exuded his upbringing. He could probably attribute this to his growing up in Alexandria. He could communicate well. He didn't have a problem with public speaking, and he exuded confidence in the way he spoke. And not only that, he was competent in the scriptures. He was not only a good speaker, but he had great knowledge of the scriptures. He was able to combine his abilities with substance. We have an election coming up on Tuesday. And so many of us, almost all of us, I'm sure, have been inundated with political ads and debates. Often these things are comprised of a lot of people who can speak really well, but they don't have a whole lot to say. This was not Apollos. He was eloquent and competent in the scriptures. And when we talk about scriptures here, we're talking about the Old Testament, right? Because the New Testament is happening. So we're talking about the Old Testament. He was competent in that. Competent means mighty, powerful, strong in his understanding and handling of the text. He knew his Bible, and he knew it well. He was competent in the scriptures. He was instructed in the way of the Lord, it says in verse 25. Instructed is the word catechizo. It's where we get our word catechism. It's an instruct someone directly, have a a back and forth, a face-to-face. It's usually a question and answer style of learning and teaching. He had been instructed directly in the way of the Lord. At some point, Christianity had spread to Alexandria, which is not a surprise based on the population, the influence, and just the place that it was. It's no wonder that people who became Christians took the gospel and brought it into Alexandria. And so at some point, someone sat down with Apollos and instructed him in the way of the Lord. Though it would seem that that instruction and teaching was lacking, it was a little jumbled as we read, and we're going to get there in a few minutes. But he was instructed, he was taught about Jesus. Not only that, he was fervent in spirit and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. Fervent in spirit is literally boiling. Think of a pot of water sitting on the stove, bubbling and bubbling, and if not watched, it'll bubble and bubble and boil over. It's hot, it's excited, it's got energy within it. That's who Apollos was. He had energy about him in the spirit. He was filled with the spirit and he was excited by it. And along with that, he taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. See, it's an important combination that he had. He was not only excited, but what he taught was accurate. He was excited about this. He had the spirit in him and he was excited about knowing Jesus. He was excited about knowing God, but that excitement didn't overshadow the fact that the things he said were accurate, were clear. He was able to communicate in a way that people could understand him. He could speak well. He was knowledgeable and passionate and true in regards to what he taught about. What he knew about Jesus, he taught, and it was correct, accurate, and appropriate. The issue with Apollos' teaching wasn't the accuracy or the truthfulness. It's there. What, he, what the problem with Apollos was something that he lacked. It says in verse 25, he knew only the baptism of John. What Apollos had been instructed in, what he learned, was not the full and complete picture and understanding of the ministry and work of Jesus. He knew about the baptism of John and his teaching. And so if you're reading the Bible and it says he only knew about the baptism of John, the question you should then be asking yourselves is, okay, what does that mean? What is the baptism of John? What did John teach? For that, we go back into the Gospels. John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, if the idea of a Baptist makes you uncomfortable. John was a relative of Jesus. He was a little bit older than Jesus. When John became an adult, he was led by the Spirit to speak truth as a prophet. A prophet is someone who brings the word of God. Unapologetically, unfiltered, they speak the word of God. Prophets were not usually very popular, and they didn't live very long due to that lack of popularity because they said hard things to important people, and those important people usually made the prophets dead. John lived in the wilderness. If you have a little bit of Bible knowledge or background, you might know John the Baptist. He lived in the wilderness. He wore camel skins. He he ate honey and locusts. He was a weird dude. 
He's the like last of a dying breed of Old Testament prophets. If you read the Old Testament, those prophets, they did things differently. John's kind of a throwback to the Old Testament prophets. And he preached a message of repentance and baptism. Luke 3.3, he went into all the region and around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Matthew 3, 1 and 2, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mark 1, 4, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Over and over, it's this idea of repent, turn from your sin, turn from your wickedness, turn from your evil, and be baptized. Baptism doesn't save, baptism doesn't change anything other than it's a public declaration of my desire to walk away from one life and walk into another. It is the desire to say, I am walking away at that time. What John was baptizing was saying, repent, turn from your sins, come be baptized as a public declaration that you are leaving that life, leaving those sins, and walking toward God, turning your life toward God. In John 1.29, it says, the next day he, John, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I don't know if John fully understood his own words when he called Jesus the Lamb of God, but he was 100% correct. For so long the Israelites were led and driven by the law and by the sacrificial system that went along with it. When you sinned, when you broke the law, when you did something contrary against the character or will of God, you were instructed to take a spotless, faultless, blameless, perfect lamb, bring it to the tabernacle, bring it to the synagogue, bring it to the temple, wherever it was that you were worshiping, and the priest would kill the lamb, drain it of its blood, and offer a sacrifice on your behalf. It was on your behalf. It was your sin offering. See, this system happened over and over and over again. And the system was never meant to be the forever way of things, clearly, right? We're not sacrificing lambs. It's not messy and gross in here as it did, as it was in the temple. It was never meant to be the forever way of things. That sacrificial system was a pointer. It was a sign, a symbol pointing them to something else, to someone else, a better and greater and perfect sacrifice. A sacrifice that once it was made, no others would be needed. It would be the final and ultimate sacrifice because it would actually and truly cleanse us from our sins. It would pay the debt that we owe due to our sin, due to our rebellion against God. That sacrifice was made by Jesus at the cross when he died. Of the things he said on the cross, he cries out, it is finished. The sacrifice was made. The wrath of God was poured out on his own son, and he died in our place for our sins as the final, perfect, complete, and total sin sacrifice. He was, just as John called him, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Later on in that same passage in John 1, 33 and 34, it says, I myself, John's talking, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. See, John knew. How deeply, how much did he fully and completely understand, we don't know. But he did know Jesus was the Son of God. So even though Apollos knew only of the baptism of John, he knew a lot. John preached, repent of your sin, turn from your sin, from your wickedness, from your rebellion against God, turn toward God, find grace and mercy and forgiveness in God. John knew and he preached, and so Apollos knew that Jesus was the one who would take away the sin of the world as the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice. He preached that Jesus is the Son of God. So then, what was Apollos missing? We aren't entirely sure, right? We don't have transcripts of what he taught, but if if we consider it chronologically, he only knew up to John the Baptist. So then what Apollos is missing is maybe the details of the ministry uh, and life of Jesus. 
right? The Gospels haven't been fully written yet. They're starting, some stories are starting to get passed around at this point, but the, we don't have the Gospels yet. He doesn't have the Gospels yet. So maybe it's the details of the ministry of Jesus. And if he only knows up to the baptism of John, he doesn't know about Jesus' baptism where he publicly identifies with us. And he doesn't know about the cross and the resurrection or the arrival of the Holy Spirit that John preached about, right? There'd be one who would baptize us in the Holy Spirit. That's what John preached. So he knew that this Savior, this Messiah, was going to baptize in the Holy Spirit. But how that actually plays out, this idea of what happened in Acts 2 in Pentecost, and then again later on in Acts 9 or 10 in Cornelius' house when the Gentiles get the Holy Spirit. He doesn't know that stuff. He doesn't know the exact, he knew the Holy Spirit was coming on the believers, but he doesn't know the actual details of how that plays out. It would seem, though, that even with these limitations, Apollos was clearly sent by God. He wasn't necessarily commissioned by a church. He kind of just says, God just shows up in Ephesus and starts preaching. He was clearly sent by God, empowered by the Holy Spirit. He had a fervor in him, an excitement, a passion by the Holy Spirit. And he taught an appropriate, though limited, message of the gospel. We talk often about lights shining in the darkness, right? God, Jesus calls us the lights of the world. We talk about being, this church, being a lighthouse. It would seem Apollos, if Apollos was a light, if he was a light bulb, the light bulb, he shone brightly, but maybe every so often he kind of just dimmed and flickered. You know when a light just kind of flickers, just kind of catches your eye, just for a second? That's kind of Apollos' ministry. He was shining bright. He had a a full uh, passion and ability to be able to preach, but every so often it kind of flickered a little bit because he wasn't quite, didn't quite have the full and complete understanding of the gospel at his disposal. But he preached what he knew. He preached what he understood. And he did that up until he knew something else, and he eventually does. He preached boldly in the synagogue, similar to what we've seen Paul do over and over again throughout the book of Acts. Apollos was well-spoken. He's well-taught. He knew enough of the Old, Old Testament and of what John said of himself being the fulfillment of the prophet Isaiah who said there's one who is coming who will cry out in the wilderness wilderness to make way the path of the Lord is coming, right? And John fulfilled that prophecy of Isaiah. And Apollos knew that. He was able to communicate these things. He was able to begin to point and connect the dots from the Old Testament to Jesus. And that's one of the coolest things about the Bible is how those things intersect and connect. When you're studying the Old Testament, when you're reading through the Old Testament, read it and think about, okay, how does this story, how does this account, how do these people, how does that get me to Jesus? Because the whole book points you to Jesus. So how does this connect me to him? And that's what Apollos was able to start doing. That's what Paul, we've seen over and over again, Paul was great at doing. And Apollos is able to start doing those things even with his limited knowledge. And as he did that, many heard him. Two specifically hear his message, Priscilla and Aquila. They were there and they heard him. We met Priscilla and Aquila last week in the beginnings of chapter 18. Paul met them in Corinth. They were tent makers. He met them. They they worked side by side. Somewhere along the way, Paul instructs them in the gospel. They believe. They go. When Paul leaves the city, they go with him. When he gets to Ephesus for that short cup of coffee he has there, they stick around. He preaches the gospel. And then he leaves them behind. He trusts them enough to leave them about behind as they continue to instruct and care for these new Christians in Ephesus. They were the lights in the darkness of that city. And they were probably very thankful to have some backup. As we're going to see when we get to chapter 19, Ephesus, like many cities at that time, was a very dark place. It was consumed culturally with idol worship. So any help that they could get in furthering the gospel, I'm sure, was greatly appreciated. And so they hear Apollos teaching, and as they hear him teaching, Priscilla and Aquila notice there's some gaps in the message. You're you're missing some stuff. Not that he said anything wrong or bad, but rather he was just, like I said, missing some things. Because again, he only knew up to the baptism of John. Right? That's the first chapter, first two chapters of the Gospels, and then we have all the rest of the Gospels. He doesn't have that in his preaching. And so Priscilla and Aquila heard the message, tested it against what they knew, tested it against what they had been taught, tested against what they had been taught by Paul, what they believed in the full story, the full message of Christ and his perfect life, his painful death, his powerful resurrection. And they hear it and they say, he's missing some things. He's not talking about those things. 
this is a reminder to us. We got to pay attention to what we are being taught, what we are taking in, what we are consuming. You take any message, any book, any podcast, song, article, video, and take the contents to Scripture. Does it line up with what God says? And don't settle for mostly true, kind of true, but is it actually in line with Scripture? And not just, well, he quoted Scripture. That The thing I read, it had a bunch of Bible verses in it. Do you quote Scripture accurately, or do you just take it out of context? Do you use it appropriately and the way it's meant to be the author is meant to communicate it, or are they just trying to manipulate God's word, trying to fit their own agenda? People do that. So we have to read, and we have to read thinking about what we're taking in. We have to listen, thinking about what are we taking in, and take it back to Scripture. So in response to what the couple hear from Apollos, they take him aside, and they explain the way of God more accurately to him. There's no public yelling. There's no shaming. No arguments in the town square, no subtweeting. It's in a direct address of the situation to the person, face to face. Mind boggling. Hey, can we talk? There's a kindness and compassion to what they're doing. It's a care for the person. This is what Christian confrontation should look like. It does not need to be a public airing out of dirty laundry all the time. Now, if someone is in active sin or doing something to actively hurt or lead others astray, sure, we call them out, we bring attention to that. But when it's a matter of someone being misinformed or just not knowing about a certain doctrine or concept, there's no need to make a public issue out of this, but rather a private one. And this is good advice as we walk into community groups. Hey, community groups are starting this week. You should join one. We're all going to be studying the book of Philippians. It's going to be a great time. It's a way to edify and grow our church. During that time, people are going to be studying the word. And we all come from different backgrounds. We all have different Bible knowledge, Bible understanding. And so people might share. People might read a verse and, and someone, the leader, the, the person saying, might say, how, how do you understand that verse? And someone might read it and say, this is what I think. And they might be totally off base. Community groups is not a time to publicly share and publicly try and insult and make yourself look smarter and better because you have more Bible knowledge than somebody else. It's a time to grow and encourage each other and strengthen each other. And so if someone in community groups says something and it's way out there and they're having a hard time studying, they're having a hard time understanding, maybe you take that person aside and you say, hey, can we get together? So let's, let's talk more about this. Can we, can we do a phone call? Can we, can we, let's walk through this together. I got a little bit more knowledge. I, I've been doing this a little bit longer. Let's, let's do this together. Or, hey, I don't know that I have much more than you do, but I'd love to work on this some more. Right? Let's take it from a public setting and trying to insult and trying to make each other look bad and trying to make, somehow make ourselves look better as if that's how it works. And let's pull it aside and have actual conversation, actual relational development. Community groups are a great place to grow and strengthen relationships, and one of the ways we do that is studying the Bible together. I want you to see, though, as well, not only did they pull Apollos aside, but there is a, a small grammar thing I want you to see. In verse 18, if you go up to verse 18, it says, After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with him was Priscilla and Aquila. And then verse 26, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. These are two of, I think there's six total places where Priscilla and Aquila are mentioned. Every time they're mentioned, Priscilla's name is mentioned first, which is not the norm in the Bible. Usually it would be the husband's name who gets listed first. The Bible doesn't do things by accident. God doesn't do things by accident. It's an intentional, grammatical decision that her name is listed first. We don't know the exact details as to why. It's, it's possible she came from a, a wealthy family, a, a family that had a reputation, and it could be that. 
And there are many who also think that it could be she's listed first because she was the primary leader, teacher of the two, that they worked as a team, they, they served as a team, but she had a little bit more of this eloquence we've seen from Apollos. She had a little bit more ability to communicate truth, and so she was kind of the one who took the lead on some of those conversations. She was the one who took the lead on talking and having this conversation with Apollos. Whatever the reason is, though, I, I just want to draw attention to the fact that, A, this is a married couple serving in the church together, caring and loving other people and serving together. That's beautiful and awesome. And B, Priscilla was active and involved and probably had a very vital role in the church in Ephesus going forward. And again, that's just cool. And I like to draw out and see those things and see how the church does things differently than what was so long and had been happening for so long in Judaism. And so Apollos is taken aside. Priscilla and Aquila say, hey, can we talk? And they instruct him in the way of the Lord. Some of the things, they fill in some of the places he was missing. And he was willing to hear this instruction. He was able to hear what was, he was lacking and receive from this couple. Priscilla and Aquila were not, quote-unquote, professional Christians. They weren't pastors. They didn't have official roles in the church. They were tent makers. They didn't have his apparent gifts. But Apollos, along with all that he had going for him, was also humble and teachable enough to know that he needed to listen. Because he was humble and teachable, because he was willing to hear from them, receive that, his ability and influence and ministry was strengthened, and he was able to go and do even greater things. It says in verse 27, excuse me, when he wished to cross to Acacia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who, through grace, had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. He wanted to travel. He wanted to go beyond Ephesus. And those who were church leaders, those who were of authority there in Ephesus said, that's a great idea. We're going to write you a letter. And they wrote and they said, hey, welcome Apollos. He has got talent. He's got gifts. He's learning. He's growing. He will be a benefit to you because of the way he carried himself, because of the way that he was eloquent and eloquent and he was competent in scriptures, but also he was humble and teachable enough to learn and to continue to learn and grow. And so he went to Acacia, and that's going to just lead him to Corinth. Basically, it says even in verse, chapter 19, verse 1, it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth. So he makes his way to Corinth. And if you remember from last week, we talked about that city. It was a dark and messy and broken place. And while Paul had established a church there and Christians there and the gospel was breaking in, it was still a city plagued by idolatry and sin. It's a city that was hurting and suffering from its just cultural, deep generational wounds. But Apollos was able to go into that city and be a light there and be a help there. He greatly helped those who through grace had believed. Belief, faith comes by grace alone. It is that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. He was a help to those who had put their faith and hope in Jesus, in his life and death and resurrection for the, power, for the forgiveness of their sins. He was able to step in and be an encouragement to them. He was a help in the midst of a hard place to do ministry. He was a, able to encourage those who had already put their faith in Christ in Corinth and realized that being a Christian in Corinth was really hard. Being a Christian in Chicago can be really hard at times. One of my favorite things about getting to be the pastor of this church is that uh, I get the chance to meet other pastors and other church leaders and, and just church folk in general. I, I tend to hang out with a lot of, a lot of them. In our city, it's, it's been so cool because it wasn't always my experience growing up, but this is a place that churches and leaders and full-on denominations are willing to Set aside the secondary issues that we can debate and discuss, and at the end of the day, we can disagree on. And they're able to set those things aside to say, we focus on the gospel, we focus on Jesus, on his death, on his resurrection, on the need for grace and mercy and hope. Let's focus on those things, and even though we might disagree on some of the secondary things, let's focus on the hard, important things that we're never going to let go of, and let's do ministry to further the gospel in this city, because it's dark and needs grace and needs mercy. And it's so cool to see the way that churches will work together and serve together, even when they might have differences, when they might have things that they do differently and believe differently. They're able to focus on the things they need to focus on to see the gospel go forward. 
It's one of the beautiful things about the fact that, yes, we are our own autonomous church, that TF is its own thing, but we're just a small representation, a small reminder of the big C church, of what God is doing universally, that he's doing around the world, that he's been doing throughout time, that we are part of something much bigger than ourselves. And we are able to work together with other Christians in other places to grow and pursue seeing the gospel go forward. Twice a month, I get to meet with, with other pastors. One of those meetings is with pastors in our own neighborhood, and then one is with pastors in, our, in the domination, in the EFCA. And for me, it's a great reminder, like I said, that our church is, is not alone. We're not alone in ministry. It might feel that way sometimes, that we, we come to the same building, we sit in the same seats, and we do the same thing, and we see the same people over and over again. It might feel kind of isolating, kind of like we're just doing our own thing, but we are part of something much bigger than ourselves in seeing the gospel go forward in this city and beyond. Apollos was able to come and be an encouragement. As you meet and engage, we have that event coming up for Thanksgiving as we hang out with our brothers and sisters from Addison Street. Last week, a bunch of us got to go hang out and spend some time with people at New Life. As we engage with other Christians and even within our own church, we are called to be an encouragement to one another, to build one another up, to use our gifts, talents, and abilities to strengthen each other. That's what Apollos was doing. When Apollos got to Corinth, he jumped in and he used his gifts and abilities things that he had he used them to serve he didn't hide them away or hoard them to himself he went toe-to-toe with those who refuted the christian way and much like we've seen paul do over and over again he used scripture to show them that the messiah they were waiting for this set apart one that god promised to send that when sin entered the world god said i'm going to send one who's going to go to war with satan go to war with sin and put an end to it and that was the promise that the the jews that the jews clung to The Israelites hung on to that. No matter who was in charge of them, no matter how many times they got beaten up, they got kicked out of their own homeland, over and over, they held on to this promise that one day this one was going to come, this Messiah was going to come reestablish and bring everything together and fix everything that had been broken by sin. And what Paul would preach and what Apollos preached and what we know to be true is that Jesus is that Messiah. Jesus is that fulfillment, that he came to go to war with Satan and sin, and he did so by going to the cross and dying for our sins in our place. Apollos was able to preach this message and show them, just like Paul was able to show them from the scriptures, this one that you've been waiting for and longing for, this promise has been fulfilled in Jesus. Apollos' ministry was of great importance to the continued growth of Christianity in that city and in that part of the world. Because in Corinth, Corinth had a reputation and Corinth had an influence and it was able to grow and grow because of it. We see even Paul valued the ministry of Apollos. In Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church, he says in 1 Corinthians 3, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. See, in the Corinthian church, if you ever hear a church, uh, a church that is connected or says, man, they're a lot like the Corinthian church, that's a bummer, because that church was real messed up. And even there was still, even within the Christians, even with those who had put their faith in Christ, divisions and jealousies rising up. In the church, there were these Christians who were basically forming into factions, claiming allegiance to different church leaders. Well, I'm a follower of Paul. Well, I'm a follower of Apollos, well, I'm a follower of Peter. And then you had the like super spiritual ones in the corner. Well, you know what? I just, I follow Jesus. I'm a little bit more spiritual than all of you. And you had these factions that thought one was better than the other. And what Paul writes to them, and he says in 1 Corinthians 3 is, hey guys, same team. I planted, yes, I came to Corinth and I, I preached the gospel and it was, it was new and it broke into the darkness. And preached in the word, and and I planted the seed of faith in you. Amen. But Apollos came after me, and he watered. He helped nourish you and grow and see that seed grow and flourish. But even that, ultimately, it doesn't really matter because the one who gives the rain, the sun, the light to any and everything is God. He makes us grow. Focus on him. Apollos had an important ministry, but Paul was saying in that 1 Corinthians passage, look, yes, he he did important and holy work, but ultimately let's not take our eyes away from the one who does the ultimate work, and that's God. There's much to learn in these four verses from the people that are mentioned here, when we have Apollos and Priscilla and Aquila. 
we got a lot that we can learn from these three people. From Apollos, we can learn that we need to use our gifts and talents and abilities. Look, God has uniquely wired you to be who you are for his ministry, for his glory and his good. Don't shy away from that. If you are a Christian, you have a spiritual gift. You might have more than one, but you have at least one, whether or not you know it. And if you don't know what your gifting is, if you say, I put my faith in Christ I want to help, I want to serve, I want to, I want to grow, I want to see things, but I don't really know how God has gifted me. Let's talk about it. There's way, let's pray, let's start praying about that. There's ways, there's things that we can read and study and, and pray about to, to kind of help figure out what does that look like. What does it look like for you to step into the gifts that you have because you have them? And if you do know what your giftings are, are you using them? You were gifted for the betterment of God's people and for the glory of God's name. Are you using your gifts, talents, and abilities for those things? Apollos shared what he knew. He preached what he knew. Obviously, he didn't know what he didn't know, but he knew enough. Christian, you know enough. If you have put your faith in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you know more than enough. That is great truth. You have truth that is good news of great joy for all people. It doesn't matter if you don't know every doctrine, every detail, if you can answer every question. You can share your story. You can share what you know to be true about who God is and how he has changed your life. You can point people to the Bible and you can walk with someone through the Bible. You might say, I don't know enough to be able to do that. Okay, let's get a commentary. Let's do it together. Let's go to the people who have spent their lives writing and studying these things. Let's read what they have to say and let's apply it and let's try and pull it apart together. Let's do it as a community. If you don't know something, you've come to something that's hard, it's okay to say, I don't have all the answers. And then go looking for those answers. But have a willingness to walk with someone to find those answers, to figure those things out, to grow together, becoming Christ-like and proclaiming Christ. That's what our church is about. And we do that together. You know more than you think you do. I promise you that. And on top of that, if you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit who does know everything and will give you the exact words that you need in the moment. Trust him. Let him do what he is going to do. Give him the space. Follow his lead to do what he is going to do to lead you into those moments that God has set aside ahead of time for you to glorify him. Share what you know. And as you do that, be teachable. Be humble. Be willing to have others pour into you. Apollos could have kept on getting by on just who he was and what he knew. Right? He he could speak well. He had a great knowledge. People listened to him. People liked him. Based on that that description of him, he was probably good looking. Like he was one of those people that like just everybody liked. He could have just rode those coattails. He could have just kept doing what he was doing. He could have easily blown off Priscilla and Aquila and just kept right along and probably would have been fairly successful. But he was humble enough and teachable enough to listen and to consider and learn and grow and be challenged. If only we had a place where we could do that here. Community groups are starting this week. We have one launching tomorrow. We have a women's group on Mondays. We have one group on Tuesdays, Fridays, and Saturday mornings. Get into a community group. That's where we learn. That's where we grow. That's where we teach one another and we walk together in these things. It's a place where life and growth happen. So jump in. Apollos teaches us a lot of things, but we also can learn from Priscilla and Aquila. Test what you hear. And it might sound, what you take in, what you hear, what you read, it might be 99% true. Lean into that 1%. Because that 1% that might be off or missing, what, why? Go figure that out. And when you are confronting your brothers and sisters, let's do it in a respectful and appropriate way. Had they confronted Apollos in the synagogue, it could have, been, could have done serious damage. It could have done damage to the credibility of the gospel, which was still new at that point and in a hostile environment of being in the synagogue. And it could have stunted the growth and development of this servant Apollos. He could have gotten shut down, felt bad about himself, And maybe just stop preaching altogether. Sometimes how we say something, even when it's true and it's meant for good, it's just as important as what we share. The how matters. Right? We are to communicate truth in love. 
with one another. We also see from Priscilla and Aquila, don't let the things of this life hold you back. Whatever it is that you think is the reason you can't be doing ministry, you can't be serving, you can't be trying to help further the gospel in some form or fashion. I'm not even talking about working for a church or having an official leadership title. Just sharing what you know and and being a Christian who shares the gospel and is a light in the world. Whatever hindrance, whatever thing you think it is about who you are, where you're from, what your job is, how much time you have, whatever those things are, don't let those be hindrances. Push those things aside because God has a reason for you being you. Do not let the things of life hold you back. Whatever you think your place in life is, God has gifted you. You are who you are, living where you are and when you are, in the relationships you have for a reason. You have a purpose. It is not by accident or happenstance. You exist where, when, and as the person you are because God designed it that way. Step into those realities. But as we do that, as we step in, as we have these moments where we're seeing the gospel go forward and we're part of what God is doing in this world, remember that it is ultimately God's work, right? Because we tend to be people, we are people who are created to worship. It's in our DNA. It's how God made us. And too often we take that reality and we worship the wrong things and we worship people. We like to hold up people and emulate people who are great Christians. And you know what? That's good. That's great. We should find people. Go find people who are following the Lord, who are walking with God. Find people who you see, man, I want to have a prayer life like that person. I want to walk. I want to know God the way that person knows God. That's awesome. Find those people and learn from them. Say, I want to have the kind of relationship with God you have. And that might sound a little weird and awkward. What I did in college and even after is I just, I found those guys. I found teachers and and faculty members and and people at church, and I just kept showing up in their office. Like, lucky for me, they didn't lock their doors. And I I would just show up and just hang out. It was a great blessing to me that my father-in-law doesn't lock his front door. And I just got to sit on his couch and learn from him and just see how he carried himself and how he studied and, and the faith and sure assurance of his faith that he had and I could learn from that. Put yourself around people who love the Lord. Put yourself around people who are mature Christians, who are growing, who are still pursuing him. And that's great. We need to do that. But as we're doing that, as we're serving ourselves, we cannot forget that ultimately it's God that makes things go. That that person that we hold up, that mentor, that person who's discipling us, that mega, that mega church pastor that we love to listen to, great, learn from them. But remember, they're not the ultimate one. There's one above them. Don't forget that it's ultimately God that makes things go. It is God who gives life and hope and grace and forgiveness and mercy and freedom. All good things come from him. We can celebrate the gifts. We can celebrate the opportunities to use or to be blessed by someone's gifts, talents, and abilities. But let us never confuse or mistake them for the giver of the gift. As James writes in James 1, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers and sisters. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And as Paul is going to say in Philippians 4, it is our God who will supply every need of ours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So yes, God uses us. Yes, God calls us and equips us to serve. But ultimately, it is our God who will supply every need of ours according to his riches in his glory in Christ Jesus. It is to him who, is get, who gets the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for people like Apollos and and Priscilla and Aquila. People willing to step into the chances, the moments that you provide and serve and give. Give of themselves. God, help us to be people like that. God, give us clarity and wisdom in regards to how you have gifted and wired us and, and, and what you have done to shape us and 
God, we pray that you would help us to learn how we can best serve you. God, as we do that, as we learn and grow and lead and step into these moments that you have prepared ahead of time for us, God, I, I pray that you would keep us humble, keep us teachable. Help us to fix our eyes on you, to remember that it is for your glory that we do these things, that it is for your will, that it is your mission, your desire to redeem all things and, and renew all things, that you don't need us, but you use us to call all things back to yourself, to redeem all things by the gospel. God, as we talk about renewing and redeeming all things, Lord, we know there are hearts in this room. We know that there are hearts that, that each of us know that haven't been redeemed or renewed. That every one of us knows at least one person who needs to hear the good news of great joy. That the Messiah has come, that he lived, that he died, that he rose again, and he, he did so for us. That we were the joy set before him that allowed him to endure the shame of the cross. God, give us a boldness to have those conversations with those friends, those family members, those co-workers, those neighbors. God, give us an opportunity and a boldness to step in and share with them the truth that we know, the good news that we know, that you have sent your son to die for us. And that changes everything. The grace and love and mercy and forgiveness that we have experienced, Lord, help us to be people who emulate that, who live in that same way toward others. God, give us eyes to see those moments and give us the boldness to step into them when you present them to us. God, we thank you for this opportunity to worship, to, to hear from you. Now help us as we go out from this place to not just be the people who hear it and file it away, but to respond to what you have called us to this morning. To not just be hearers of the word, but doers. To respond and be the lights of the world you have made us to be. We thank you and praise you. Amen.